My name is Paola Gaeta. I'm a professor of international law at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva, Switzerland. In this lecture, I will present you the main distinguishing traits of two classes of international crimes, core crimes, that are mostly related to armed conflicts and war, namely crime of aggression and war crimes. Let's start with the crime of aggression. Aggression was first considered as an international crime entailing the criminal responsibility of individuals under international law in 1945, when the London Agreement establishing the Nuremberg Tribunal was adopted to punish, among others, crimes against peace. The London Agreement defined crimes against peace as follows. The planning, preparation, initiation or waging of a war of aggression or a war in violation of international treaties, agreements or assurances and participation in a common plan or a conspiracy for the accomplishment of any of the aforementioned acts. Also, the Tokyo Tribunal, the Tribunal for the Far East, had jurisdiction over the crime of aggression. The prosecution and punishment of crime against peace before these two tribunals was, however, a controversial precedent. The objections which were raised by the Defence Council of the Defendants related to the respect of the principle of legality in criminal matters that bans retroactive application of criminal law. It was said that until the establishment of the Nuremberg and Tokyo Tribunal, the crime of aggression was not a crime under international law because it had never been criminalized at the international level and also at the national level, no national criminal legislation had ever criminalized the crime against peace and crime aggression. Several dissenting or separate opinions of judges at the Tokyo Tribunal on crimes against peace, including the opinion of Justice Berth Rolling, the Dutch Justice Berth Rolling, claimed that it was impossible for the Tokyo Tribunal to hold individuals responsible for the crime of aggression without violating the principle of banning retroactivity of criminal law. However, the Nuremberg Tribunal rejected this fundamental objection and said that since the crimes against peace were included in the London Charter establishing the Nuremberg Tribunal and establishing the jurisdiction of the Nuremberg Tribunal, the crime was crystallized under international law and the tribunal was duty-bound to apply its own statute. However, the tribunal also added, as an incidental passage, as an obiter dictum, as we say, that there was nonetheless a clear illegality of crimes against peace, which was established in international law since the Brian Kellogg Pact of 1928. And also, the tribunal referred to the respect of the principle of substantive justice. It said that it would have been more unjust to let the defendants go free under this charge than to punish them on the basis of the newly established definition of crimes against peace. As we see, in particular, with respect to the argument 
of the Nuremberg Tribunal according to which the illegality of waging a war of aggression was already clearly established since the Kellogg-Brennan Pact, it indicates that there is of conflation between international illegality under international law entailing the responsibility of the relevant state and international criminality under international law that entails the criminal individual, the criminal responsibility of an individual. And indeed, often this conflation is made with respect to the crime of aggression. Having said so, however, we see that after the Nuremberg and Tokyo Tribunals precedent, the, the criminal definition of aggression has gone through a standstill. On 1946, it's true that the General Assembly confirmed the Nuremberg principles and therefore confirmed the criminal responsibility for the crime, of, crime against peace, the crime of aggression. However, nothing happened since then. In 1974, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution containing the famous definition of aggression. However, it did not clarify to what extent aggression was a crime entailing not only the international responsibility of the state, but also the international responsibility of individuals. The resolution begins with a broad definition of aggression, which is based on the Nuremberg Tribunal Charter, and also establishes a list of examples of acts that may constitute aggression, but this list was left deliberately open so as to leave to the Security Council a broad discretion in characterizing other acts as aggression or in not considering the examples given as aggression. In particular, Article 1 of the Resolution of the General Assembly on Aggression defines aggression as the use of armed force by a state against the sovereignty, territorial integrity or political independence of another state or in any other manner inconsistent with the Charter of the United Nations as set out in the definition. However, as I said before, the resolution does not clarify whether aggression entails both state responsibility and individual criminal responsibility under international law. Article 5, paragraph 2 of the definition simply provides that war of aggression is a crime under international law and it gives rise to international responsibility. With the exception of the International Criminal Court, that I will mention later on, none of the ad hoc tribunals and international criminal courts that have been created since 1990s, in particular the ICTY, the Criminal Tribunal for the Former Yugoslavia, the ICTR, namely the Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, and so on and so forth, none of these tribunals have, have been given jurisdiction to prosecute individuals for crimes against peace or for the crime of aggression. This is quite odd also if one considers that the Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and the Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda were created by the Security Council, which has the primary responsibility under Chapter 7 of the United Nations to maintain peace and security and to define that peace and security is threatened by including the commission of an act of aggression. 
Having said so, the only exception before the International Criminal Court of a crazy international tribunal having jurisdiction on the crime of aggression is the Iraqi Tribunal, which was established after the US-led war against Iraq uh, that indeed was created this Iraqi Tribunal to punish the members of the Ba'athar regime for crimes committed uh, in their country. And Article 14, letter C, of the Statute of the Iraqi Tribunal established as a crime the possibility to abuse the position and the pursuit of policies that may lead to the threat of war or the use of armed forces of Iraq against an Arab country in accordance with the relevant legislation, namely Law Number no. 7 of 1958, as amended. Apart from this example, setting aside this example of the Iraqi tribunal, the relevant achievement of the Rome Statute establishing the International Criminal Court was in the insertion at the beginning of Article 5, Letter 2 of the Rome Statute that referred to the possibility for the International Criminal Court to, to exercise jurisdiction of the crime of aggression but postponing to a subsequent agreement the definition of the crime of aggression and the conditions for the exercise of the jurisdiction of the court over the crime of aggression. The subsequent agreement and this compromise was achieved indeed in Kampala, Uganda in 2010. The Kampala Amendment uh, defining the crime of aggression for the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court and establishing the conditions for the exercise of the jurisdiction of the court of the crime of aggression entered into force. Uh, and the has entered into force and the Assembly of State Parties of the International Criminal Court has given green light to the jurisdiction of the court on the crime of aggression as from 17 July 2018. Let's look at the definition of crime of aggression in, Rome, in the Rome Statute and this is now enshrined in Article 8 bis of the Rome Statute. As one can read in this article the definition of crime of aggression is first of all is a threshold crime. What do I mean by that? I mean that it is necessary for the crime of aggression, for the legal use of force, to meet a certain level of severity to trigger the individual criminal responsibility for the crime of aggression. Let's now examine what is the definition of the crime of aggression which is contained in the Rome Statute, namely in Article 8 bis of the Rome Statute. This article consists of two paragraphs. The first paragraph establishes the general elements of the crime of aggression, while the second paragraph provides for a list of acts of aggressions that may give rise to the crime of aggression and therefore the individual criminal responsibility. So paragraph one says, and I read, for the purpose of this statute, crime of aggression means the planning, preparation, initiation or execution by a person in a position effectively to exercise control over or to direct the political or military action of a state of an act of aggression which, by its character, gravity and scale, 
constitutes a manifest violation of the Charter of the United Nations. So, as it is clear from this definition, in order for the crime of aggression to be committed, it is necessary that an act of aggression has been committed. This act of aggression must have a particular threshold to give rise to the crime of aggression. And this threshold is the fact that this act is, by its character, gravity and scale, a manifest violation of the Charter of the United Nations. In addition to that, it is necessary for such an act of aggression reaching this threshold to be committed by a person in a position effectively to exercise control over or to direct the political or military action of a state. This means that only persons at the apex of the apparatus of a state, political leaders or military leaders of a state, can be responsible for the crime of aggression because only this person would be in a position to control or to direct the politically, political or military action of a state. Therefore, one usually says that the crime of aggression in the Rome Statute is a leadership crime. Therefore, foot soldiers could not be responsible for the crime of aggression since they would not have such a level of seniority in the apparatus of the state. Paragraph 2 of Article 8 bis contains a list of which act may constitute an act of aggression under the conditions, however, that they, they meet the threshold of gravity mentioned above. And these acts is a list uh, which consists of letters from A to G that essentially reproduces the list of acts of aggression contained in the United Nations General Assembly resolution I mentioned before, defining the crime of aggression. Let's move now to the second class of crimes that are closely connected to the armed conflict, to a war, namely war crimes. War crimes are serious violations of the body of law which is applicable in armed conflict of both an international or non-international nature, namely international humanitarian law or the laws of armed conflict, as also it may be called. There is, however, no exclusive authoritative list in international law that establishes which violations of international humanitarian law amounts to war crimes. A necessary starting point, however, is the penal provisions are the penal provisions contained in the Geneva Conventions of 1949 for the protections of the victims of warfare and first additional protocol to these Geneva Conventions. This is because these penal provisions contain a list of violations of the Geneva Conventions or of the additional protocol that are called grave breaches, which are considered to be war crimes by way of a treaty and also by way of customary international law. The system of grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions and first additional protocol provides for a system for the repression of such breaches, which essentially consists in the duty of every high contracting party to pass criminal legislation penalizing those grave breaches, to bring before their own courts the perpetrators of such grave breaches, or in the alternative, to end them over to another contracting party that has made a prima facie case.
Another starting point for identifying war crimes is Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. This article contains a very long list of war crimes under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, but it's important that we underline that such a list is made only for the purpose of the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court and does not necessarily um, contain all possible war crimes under international law. For instance, the use of chemical weapons in armed conflict is not included as a war crime in Article 8, although the use of chemical weapons in armed conflict is certainly considered to be a war crime under customary international law. Also, not necessarily the war crimes that are listed in Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court correspond to the provisions of Additional Protocol 1 to the Geneva Conventions because they may change some elements of the relevant crime, uh, in particular by, for instance, requiring that the war crime is, is, always, uh, is only limited to having carried out a particular very serious unlawful conduct without requiring to prove the fact that victims uh, have been killed as a consequence of this illegal conduct. By contrast, Additional Protocol 1 would often require that the war crime exists only when it is possible to prove that uh, the illegal conduct has created uh, harm to civilians or civilian objects. In addition, we shall consider that besides these two instruments, war crimes therefore are crimes that may be established by customary international law, and to identify which crimes are crimes, war crimes under customary international law, one has to refer to the usual elements of customary international law, that means practice, state practice, and opinion juris, opinion juris. And therefore, the task of a relevant lawyer would be to identify, to peruse the practice and opinion juris of states, to identify whether certain violations of international law are considered to be war crimes under customary international law. Something that is important to underline it is that often it is said that not all violations of international law may be war crimes, but only those which are serious in character. And the seriousness requirement would be often attached to the value protected by the rule that has been violated and the fact that may be serious consequences for innocent people. Concerning war crimes, it is also important to underline that there would be the need to prove that the illegal conduct that is carried out during an armed conflict in violation of international humanitarian law is in fact closely linked to the armed conflict to constitute a war crime. This is what it is termed the nexus requirement that namely the link between the illegal conduct and the armed conflict that would make that illegal conduct a war crime. I will come back to that later. Having said so, let's try to classify war crimes. Uh, essentially, we shall distinguish two main categories of war crimes. First of all, there is the war crimes that they may be committed only during an international armed conflict, namely during a conflict between two states. A typical example of a war crime that can only be committed during an armed conflict between states 
is the crimes that the state may commit against the prisoners of war, namely the enemy lawful combatants that are captured. Since prisoners of war do not exist, this category, in the context of civil wars, it is evident that war crimes against prisoners of war are war crimes that can only be committed in the context of an international conflict. At the same time, we shall also distinguish two other classes of war crimes depending on the conduct that has been carried out. On one hand, there are the war crimes that are committed on the battlefield, and therefore are war crimes that are related to the way hostilities are carried out and the weapons used. In this case, therefore, you would have the war crimes of attacking civilians, the war crimes of attacking protected or protected objects, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, you might have war crimes that are committed against persons who have been fallen in the hands of the enemy and do not, therefore, participate or do not participate anymore in the hostilities. And these war crimes would be war crimes against civilians who live in terri occupied territories or detained by the enemy power, as well as crimes against prisoners of war, as I said, or even crimes committed against the shipwrecked or the wounded and sick in the battlefield. And these crimes would be usually crimes such as murder, inhuman treatment, doing rape or torture or medical experiments and so on and so forth against these people. This distinction is important because for the prosecution of war crimes it is often more difficult to prosecute war crimes related to the conduct of hostilities than to prosecute war crimes committed against innocent people. This is evident because when it comes to war crimes in relation to conduct of hostilities, it is necessary to take into account for the war crime to be established a series of concepts pertaining to international humanitarian law that are very loose sometimes in character. For instance, one should say what is a military objective, one should decide whether or not the person that has been targeted was a civilian, was a civilian participating in hostilities, and so on and so forth. All these concepts are very loose in international humanitarian law, and they may be very difficult to be proven at the level of a prosecution case. This explains why war crimes on conduct of hostilities often are not very much prosecuted at the international and national level and you really can count them in a few hands. At the same time it is evident that war crimes that are committed on the battlefield because this is, these are war crimes of conduct of hostilities do not have a problem in establishing the nexus with the armed conflict because clearly these crimes are committed during military attacks or with military means, prohibited military means and therefore the nexus with the armed conflict is self-established. Also in relation to this second class of war crimes, namely war crimes committed against innocent persons, it would be important to identify whether or not the victim is a person protected by the rules of international humanitarian law. Because usually only 
crimes committed against these protected persons, persons protected by rules of international humanitarian law, could be war crimes. And the persons protected by the rules of international humanitarian law are the shipwrecked, the wounded and sick in the field, the prisoners of war, the civilians in the hands of the enemy, and that's it. So usually, therefore, it would be important to identify whether or not the victim was a person protected. For instance, to give an example of a crime that may be not a war crime because the person was not a protected person, one may think of the killing by a soldier of an army uh, fighting an armed conflict of a fellow man. This killing for any reason whatsoever, killing a fellow man in the same army, intraparty killing, as we say it. In this case, although the murder was committed during an armed conflict and may be in connection with the armed conflict, this may not qualify as a war crime simply because the victim was not protected by the rules of international humanitarian law that do not take into account these forms of violence and do not protect uh, persons belonging to the same armed forces unless they are sick and wounded in the field or shipwrecked.